0: This episode is sponsored by the International Educator. Many of you know part of my professional background is both in career development and education, which means I get a number of educators asking me how they can launch their careers abroad. If that's you, you need the International Educator, which connects English-speaking teachers with opportunities at international schools around the world. Not only do you find out about vacancies, but you get much-needed information on topics as varied as housing options, tax-free salaries, and professional development. And here's the thing, all subjects and grade levels are needed. For limited time only, Tie is offering discounts on memberships for Global Chatter listeners. So visit tieonline.com and use the promo code Global Chatter to save on your membership today. I have long thought it takes a certain kind of bravery to move abroad. In most cases, you don't know the country, the culture, or the people, but a drive causes people to make the jump. Likewise, it's even more so when a young person decides to do it, because somewhere there's a supportive parent that lets it happen. It takes a lot to let your kid run off and do it, even if you have no idea what will happen when they get there. So yeah, this is really brave. And that leads me to the story of Jamila Muhammad. Today, Jamila is a seasoned expat who's lived in multiple countries with her family. But as a young person growing up in the South Side of Chicago, the fact that she would even have an international life or career was not so evident. But an opportunity to Mexico would kick it all off. Jamila is a foreign language advocate who has previously worked and taught in 11 countries, most recently with the U.S. Department of Defense in Japan. She has also authored The Global Child, a handbook on raising children bilingually in the Washington, D.C. area, and was a contributor to the Minority Rights Group International publication No Longer Visible. She is the founder of Two Languages, Too Cool, a resource where English-speaking expats can find inspiration, motivation, and guidance in the foreign language learning process. In this episode, Jamila discusses the privilege of being multilingual and the unexpected ways it has opened doors. She talks about raising her children in cross-cultural spaces and why she felt it was important that they could speak more than one language. And we discuss how the power of language can impact and change the expat experience. I always enjoy an unlikely story, and Jamila's is as unlikely as they come. Welcome to The Global Chatter. All right, so thank you for joining me on the latest episode of The Global Chatter. I love doing this podcast, as you guys know, because I think that there's so many brilliant stories of Black and Brown folks that we don't always get to share or hear in our own circles. And so like every other episode, you guys know I start off saying, I know this one's going to be fire because I only have guests on here that are. (laughs) Jamila's laughing (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> on the screen. But as you've heard from the intro, you know that Jamila Muhammad is part of the show today and I want to go ahead and welcome you
1: on here. So, welcome Jamila. Thank you very much. Very happy to be here. Thank you for the opportunity.
0: No, oh, it's my pleasure. I I already know that you and I are going to have some great energy. I I can feel it and and I think you've got a story to tell. And so we're going to kick off with the first question because I think for all of my listeners, they're always curious, kind of like when we, when I start off, where my guests are currently located. And I have to say currently because half of them fly back and forth so much <laughs> where they're talking to me and where they live or where they're going is not the same. So where in the world are you located?
1: Um, I'm currently in the Yucatan, uh, which is like Southern Mexico. Um, But I've only been here very briefly. I'm actually coming from Okinawa, Japan, um, where I lived for almost 13 years. Um, So, yeah, but I'm currently here in the Yucatan, Mexico. Oh, my goodness. So are you... So is this uh,
0: you're now living in Mexico or is this uh, I'm stopping by or is this I'm going back to Japan?
1: Excellent the question. Um, I just completed uh, an amazing career with the U.S. Department of Defense um, in Japan. I taught um, Spanish in uh, a city called uh, Yokosuka, which is right outside of Tokyo. And then I did about six years in the southernmost prefecture called Okinawa. And that's where I'm coming from. So like I said, I just finished my wonderful teaching career. I miss, miss, miss my wonderful students so much. Um, But um, it's time for me to move on. So I'm here um, in Mexico. This is not my final destination. Um, I, took a break from the classroom so that I can do some professional development. Um, I'm going to be doing some researching and writing a lot of books. So Mexico is my first stop, but I'm totally looking into Costa Rica and Nicaragua.
0: Perfect. And so before we get to like your now, I feel like we
1: always have to set up the scene. So where'd you grow up? I grew up on the south side of Chicago, Forty Seventh Street, and you can't get any more south side than that. When people say Forty Seventh Street, they're like, "Okay, that is the hood," and um, which it is, and even today, today. But um, yeah, I grew up in uh, grew up in Chicago on the south side, but um, what I think really. Um, allowed me to express my global spirit because, as you know, um, Chicago is extremely segregated. So 47th Street was not only an impoverished community, it was extremely segregated. But what I think helped me was I attended um, a high school, Kinwood Academy. And this is a high school that, for some odd reason, produces some really awesome people, Shaka Khan. Mm. R. Kelly, um, and then the Smothers. Okay, mm. right, um, right. <laughs> it's uh, this school, Kimwood Academy, is in Hyde Park, Chicago, which is the home of the University of Chicago. And if you know anything about University of Chicago, some of the most mm-hmm. uh, I don't know the smartest, brilliant students go there to learn. So that really allowed me to um, be exposed to some things that I just could not on Forty Seventh Street in my neighborhood.
0: Yeah. And, you know, it's funny, you were mentioning University of Chicago and in a previous life, some people know this, I used to work in college access. And the only reason that's important is because in trying to expose some of my underrepresented students to higher education, I've been exposed to a lot of universities. And I always remembered that University of Chicago always had kind of the interest it's like the most interesting students ended up in that space and I thought a lot of it had to do with the environment Mm. and the school but also probably the city and and who who would be the kind of person to go there and so you know you you said something and it makes me wonder in in your background um, you grew up in a in a segregated environment and so for for our listeners does that mean You know, when you looked around in your community, it was predominantly Black. Were there immigrant populations? Were there immigrant populations nearby? Because I know there's some folks who definitely kind of group in those spaces where
1: a whole lot of people didn't have a lot, but it was a lot of different people. (laughs) So I'm just curious what that looked like for you. So segregation um, in my community was predominantly African-American, predominantly um, uneducated, predominantly um, poor. Mm -hmm. Um, But I'll say this for your listeners, and I think there's some of them who will appreciate this. Um, One of the reasons besides being exposed to middle class, the middle class world in in Hyde Park, um, we were Muslims. We became Muslims in the late 70s. My mom, Mm -hmm. and so we we had quote unquote a cleaner lifestyle, and we were really respected. So we didn't really have problems with the gang members. In fact, they, uh, you know, they helped us and you know defended us. But I think again, going to school in Hyde Park, which is very multicultural, very middle class, very multi ethnic, and being a Muslim under the Nation of Islam really. Had um, a lot to do with the the success in my family. So that's really
0: cool, and that's like a fascinating shift. So, like you, were you, if I'm understanding correctly, your family made the religious change. You you'd already been born. It wasn't like you you weren't born into your family already practicing. Is that correct? Or yeah, you-
1: absolutely right. Yes. So yeah. um, we we became Muslims in the late 70s. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Along with Muhammad Ali, that whole movement, Malcolm X, et cetera, uh, which was extremely strong. In fact, I thought that was the I think that was the headquarters of the Nation of Islam Mm -hmm. in terms of members and the movement. So, yes, that's my background. Very cool.
0: And so tell me, you know, with your family being in Chicago and I and I, I think this is always a fascinating question, especially with those who are Black American because the country is so big. Did you, in terms of, did you ever travel? And if you did, and I know for some people, it meant just traveling to meet family. Did your family ever go to see other family members who maybe in other parts of the country or even, you know, Given that you're in Chicago, I'm trying to think in my mind a map, (laughs) even go up north to Canada. Like, did your family
1: travel at all? Absolutely not. That Well, my mom was um, one of the, she was a part of that great migration from Louisiana Mm -hmm. to Chicago. That was the extent of it. But Amanda, I'm so glad you asked that question because nothing happens in a vacuum. And yes, I was born with a global soul, but in our community... Um, on 47th Street, we had some really conscious people who were, um, uh, Hebrew Israelites and they would always mm-hmm. go to Israel. And I thought that right. was so fascinating. I'm like, you're going all the way across the world. Um, I, one of my good friends in the, in the community went to Israel for like four or five years. And I'm like, can yep. people do that? So I think that had something, and I don't really think about it a lot, but I think that also inspired me to travel because I said, this has happened before. You can do this. So, yeah, it was the, the Hebrew Israelites. I'm not sure if you're familiar <laughs> with this community. Oh, I am. Yes. <laughs> I am. They, <laughs> they go to Israel. They travel. And wow. so, yeah, that was, we're not, again, I'm Muslim, but, they, this community had many of those members and they were very influential.
0: Wow. And that's very fascinating. And I'm going to say, I've heard a lot of things. I, this is the first time I've actually kind of heard that connection with someone's story. And that's really interesting. It's, you saw people in the community and, and obviously I would imagine for them, there was a, it's a religious, you know, identity that's tied to it, of course. But the impact that can have in terms of thinking oh i can go beyond what i see in in my four you know my immediate neighborhood or these four walls
1: or whatever and so did you um did you go on to college yes i did so uh i attended um iowa state university they did a lot of recruiting in (laughs) chicago That was going to be the
0: next question because every time I get a Midwesterner on here, they will say school and I'm like, and I'm going to need you. And usually they're from Chicago. I'm like, I'm going to need you to explain how you got over there. And you are probably the third or fourth Chicagoan where it's like. Uh, There's maybe one person I had from the state of Illinois that actually went to uh, (laughs) a school in Illinois, Illinois, but it's always like, okay, explain
1: how you got there. So, all right. Amanda, I will tell you, it's one of the best things that ever happened to me. Sure, Iowa is, you know, corn and farmland, (laughs) but... During that time, they heavily promoted the studying of other languages and going abroad. I don't know why, but every sign I would see in my dorm in the cafeteria, study abroad, study abroad. And also I met my best friend in the world there, um, an awesome guy from Argentina. And um, he looked at me and he was like, you don't speak more than one language. And he's um, (laughs) German Jew who speaks German, Yeah. yeah yeah holocaust his uncle um yeah was one of the victims um in the holocaust but his dad was fortunately uh, able to flee so you know what many yeah. germans did they went straight to latin america so we meet yeah. and he's like you only speak english i'm like uh excuse me i'm in america uh english is number <laughs> one and then i started seeing all these people from Iran. Um, who spoke English in addition to their native. And I was like, whoa, I'm missing out. So I immediately mm-hmm. went abroad. But this young man spoke German, Spanish, and English. And I just thought, wow, I'm I'm, I'm behind. <laughs> so two questions
0: following up that. The first one is, what were you studying at university?
1: Interestingly, um, I studied... <laughs> Oh, gosh, it's the truth, though. Hospitality management. I thought it was an opportunity to um, graduate, not not put too much effort. Is this true? I I, I can't lie. And able to graduate (laughs) upon graduation, find employment. There's always a hotel. There's always a restaurant. However, you know, God has other plans for you. Because once I studied abroad, I was like, this is not what I want to do at all. And so Mm -hmm. here I am, a Spanish teacher. (laughs) And where did where did you study abroad? That's the second question. So my sophomore year is when I my journey began. Um, I did a semester in Morelia, Michoacán, here in Mexico. And then the following semester, I did um, Madrid, Spain. Uh, So I did an entire year and I was hooked. I was hooked. Um, I, I don't want to say that I have a high api- aptitude for learning languages, but I liked the way it made me feel. I liked mm-hmm. the that, you know, that for whatever reason I was learning it and people would just be like, oh my gosh, you are so cool. And that's why I can't wait to talk about that language privilege because who doesn't want to feel cool all the time? <laughs> right. And and so here's, here's a... Um... Here's a
0: question I like to ask, because I would I would imagine, even if this isn't describes you fully, given your family background, were you were you first gen going to college? My sister.
1: OK, my sister was my my mom was uh, able to send all of her girls to college. Yes, my mom is not college educated, nor my okay. dad.
0: How and how many siblings do you have? I have one sister. And I'm always flipping this around. And I, and so I'm going to ask you to kind of step into their shoes for a moment. So I would imagine, you, where did your sister go to college? Did she go to college in Illinois or she went out? Of she state? went to Howard University. Okay. So she went to an HU. Yeah yeah, yeah. 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 Families in Virginia. <laughs> I know about that HU and, yeah. and I was born at the other HU. So there's, <laughs> but, but I'm curious. Okay. So your, your parents, kids have gone out of state for college which is awesome. What was their thought around you going to Mexico and or Spain? So I would imagine you being, you know, and and it doesn't even matter if you're the second kid to go; or you're the first one. But studying abroad for your parents, what was that? What do you think that was like for them?
1: My mom thought I was probably goofing off. She she didn't have the compass. I don't know. She she never really knew that I was actually studying in a program until I came home with my master's thesis book in my hand. She was like, oh my gosh. She, and, and, and even today, I mean, she, it's something so foreign to her. Mm-hmm. Um, she really didn't know why I would be outside of the U.S. in Asia for so long. And my decision to live in Latin America is like, why would you do that when they're all trying to come here? Mm-hmm. So we're we're living in different ecosystems, which is perfectly fine. Mm-hmm. Things like that happen, but um, m- my mom really and she totally supported me. It was total support, but she always kind of like, "Are you really in school?" Because like, who goes to who goes to school in a foreign country? Mm-hmm. I mean, even in the Caucasian community, they you're, that's not what's happening. Mm-hmm. You know what's cool though.
0: <laughs> As, and, I, and I'm i thinking about this, the families I've worked with when I was working in ed, it's still the fact that I, I get the sense they still supported you, even if they didn't understand it.
1: Totally. Yeah? And even the brag, oh, my daughters and so on. So my daughters, you know, but realistically it was like, are you really in school? Right. You just- <laughs> but, you, but you
0: know what though? And I'm thinking about the kids I used to work with years ago who You know, first gen, going to college, black students and the calls I would have with parents. Right. And I'm like and these are parents who I was living in Richmond, Virginia. So I remember one mom particularly. Maybe they came to North Carolina. Right. Maybe they have some family in New York, but they might go to Atlanta like once every 10 years. Right. And there were six daughters. I remember this. And I remember the second one. No, the third one was the one who's like, I'm going to study abroad in Spain. And I was on that phone with that mom for an hour. And the thing is, I, I wasn't even running a studying abroad program. I just helped the kids get into college, but they knew I'd, I had lived abroad. They knew I, I knew all this other stuff. And I, I was like, look, it'll be okay. And she she let that kid go. And then the fourth one went. And I remember thinking how brave that mom was because Mm. it wasn't her experience, right? She wasn't the one who was going to get to go to Madrid or Barcelona or Valencia or anywhere. Right. She wasn't Mm. the one getting on the plane. She wasn't the one like who had to have, what's the cool experience, but she wasn't going to get in the way, even if she didn't completely understand the experience.
1: Wow. I'm glad you said that. My mom never got in the way. was total support, but she just didn't understand. Like, yeah. Well, people do that. And, and, kind of and like, that's a win,
0: I think, sometimes when I have to tell folks, because you're asking someone who's never had, I mean, you going to college is an experience that they have not necessarily had, right? And there are many Americans, as much as we are a, we are a very much college-educated society, I think we forget that the majority of America <laughs> does not necessarily have the four-year experience or at least close to it, Right. But the fact that she was supportive of that and the fact for you that it became a turning point in what you would study and what you would do is pretty impressive because let's just be honest, the opposite could have happened too. And it's like, you ain't going (laughs) or, or you, you, you could have fought and said, I'm going to go, but having that burden of, but my parents really don't support this. That's, that's a thing. And so. That's kind of cool. I like to say that because we i I, I can't I, we can't make assumptions about people based on where they are and and, and about right. what they would or would not support
1: because I like I said and we can't expect we can't excuse me we can't expect people who have no idea of a certain lifestyle to understand yours. yeah, you just have to accept that they may or may not and move on yeah, no,
0: absolutely and 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 so you go to Spain. And you and you've go to
1: Mexico. And this is what, your sophomore year and junior year? Right. This is my sophomore year. So the first semester was Mexico. Second one was Spain. And by the time I returned to my university in Iowa, I had tested out. There was no level for me. <laughs> they were like, oh, my gosh. Uh, we'll just put you in XYZ class. You, 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 that feeling yeah. of... The, and it was the immersion, yeah. you know, and when people say, oh, I've taken four years of high school. Yeah. It was the no, immersion. that immersion is like, the thing. That yeah. Success. yeah. Totally was the immersion. So again, I, I go back to Iowa State. I test out. And again, I'm feeling I'm, I'm, I'm feeling good about myself because I'm feeling like I am really becoming successful. I don't have another word for it, but that's when the language privilege started. Mm. Tell me a little bit about that situation. Like what happened? So, so, uh, okay, so I graduate, um, uh, I pledge a sorority, and um, it was, (laughs) I'm trying to give away the year, I'll give away the year, Uh, it was during the census, and my sororers were like, okay, guys, you know, we have to do our community service, whatever, whatever, so great, okay, so I'm in Washington, D.C., Because my sister, you know, I graduated from Howard. She's like, Oh, you gotta come out to DC. It's not segregated like Chicago. Yeah. So I go to DC and I become a part of the US Census. And um, because of my language abilities, they put me in Adams Morgan. Oh, you know what? You familiar I'm with Adams? I am totally Morgan? familiar
0: with DC. And Adams yes. Morgan has also like, changed. You know Adams Morgan? Yes,
1: I know about some Adams Morgan there's some bars and Adams Morgan too. But yeah, <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> go ahead. Yeah. So I get I, I'm lucky enough to, because, you know, you knock on a numerator. I knock on the door and say, yeah, how many kids, whatever. And I get to meet a Mexican diplomat mm-hmm. who absolutely was so impressed with me, the fact that I was uh, African-American, that I spoke Spanish, and that I was Muslim. Mm-hmm. And he said to me after we, I gave him the survey or whatever, he hands me a card and he says, look, if you if you're interested in going back to Mexico or whatever, we, we give out scholarships to students throughout the world. And we have so many slots for Americans. And I was like, thank you so much because I just graduated. I'm like, I'm just trying to find a job kind of yeah. thing. And that's how I got my full scholarship to get my <laughs> master's. <laughs> La Universidad Nacional Autónoma de México. A free ride. Can
0: I? And I'm going to. Can I say one thing about Adams Morgan? And this kind of ties into your story. So, This interview is not about me, but as we all know, sometimes I do make these things about me. (laughs) So when my family immigrated to the U.S. in the 70s, Adams Morgan was one of the earlier areas they lived. And Adams Morgan for me now has changed so much because now this was before I was born. And then when I was born, they actually crossed over into Virginia at the time there was a ton of african immigrants because this is post colonialism right and so people were getting visas and stuff to come to the states but there was a significant latin american population el salvador honduras maybe nicaragua and part of that aligned with at the time if you remember that period for the people who focus on history there was civil wars and regime changes happening in those parts of the world and so it attracted a lot of those populations. And it is funny to me now when I go back to Adams Morgan and I'm thinking how like there I think there's a panda express at a place like right now. <laughs> like I don't know how else to describe it. I'm like the communities have changed so, and and I accept that those is what happens in cities but the communities have changed. But I am so like in the back of my mind, though, you're telling this story and I'm trying to pinpoint where was she? Because there's something about this that just kind of grabs me where I'm like, he said Mexico. And I'm like, do I know where where those populations were? And that's where you were. And so, first of all, it's insane that you got a full ride. (laughs) You could have got a full ride to an American university. It would have been insane. Yeah,
1: that is insane. Oh, my goodness. It was Again, I wasn't looking for it, but that's what language privilege will give you. It will open doors. And if I had just been Mary Smith knocking on his door. though <laughs> Do not Mary now. Um, he would not have been impressed and he would not have pretty much put a scholarship in my hand. And that scholarship I used for almost nine years off and on. Yes, because I had to write a thesis in Spanish and it's, it was a challenge. And my thesis advisor was like, uh-uh. So I had to go back and rewrite it. Uh, And I would actually, Georgetown let me use their library to do a lot of my work. Yes. And then finally she was like, okay, this is good. But I could have gotten a doctorate, whatever. Yes. The Mexican government has been really, really good to me.
0: All right, so we're back from the break, and if you heard Jamila's story up until this point, she was able to get a scholarship to cover her graduate studies in Mexico, and I, you know, I'm sure some of you are already thinking, "Uh, who goes to <laughs> to Mexico to study abroad uh, at the graduate level?" And I, and I'm saying that with a very specific American lens. So let's let's all be <laughs> clear on that, but. What were your experiences as a graduate student in Mexico?
1: Absolutely amazing. Um, La UNAM, they call it La UNAM for short, Universidad Nacional Autónoma de México. Um, I guess it's the, the, the National Autonomous University of Mexico. In Mexico City, the largest in Latin America, very prestigious It was an amazing experience. Two things that that I'm thinking of right now, um, walking on campus, for example, I um, met uh, a young man from North Africa, Algeria, and we talked because typically if you do not look Mexican, you know, you see another foreigner, you're like, hey, regardless of color, you're like, hey, you know, hi. We talked and, and he said something really interesting. He said he'd never met a person of African ancestry that ne- that did not speak French. So that was his experience, mm-hmm. you know, French, Africa, whatever. Then I met yeah. a beautiful Afro-Colombiana um, who not only was she studying at the university, she was giving salsa classes. I met some absolutely amazing locals, but also foreigners eh, because we kind of formed like a little, I don't know, I guess like a little family, but... Um, I, all I have to say is positive things. And uh, in my experience, there were two Americans in that entire university, which, again, is the largest in Latin America. I Apologize, I don't have any figures. But um, I was studying in the, uh, the College of Letras. It it's translates to letters, mm-hmm. but it's just like maybe I don't know what it is in English. I'm sorry. And then there was a, a woman, an older woman. She looked like she was probably in her 50s. Um, who was studying law? And she was on the other side mm-hmm. of campus. We were the only Americans that we, I mean, because yeah. I was on campus practically every day, you never ran into anyone. And um, the Af- Afro types were, again, the Colombian woman that I mentioned, and that was pretty much it. <laughs> I mm-hmm. was always the mm-hmm. only uh, person of African ancestry in my class. Always. I had some from Spain. Spain, I had some from Korea, um, and but that was it. From the U.S., definitely not. So that was pretty cool. <laughs> wow. Yeah. And so what did you think,
0: you know, and, and that's such an interesting experience, and I'm curious, what did you, what were you planning on doing professionally? Mm-hmm. Like, obviously you're in Mexico, and obviously you've got a level of the language that is at professional, I mean you're not native, but you clearly, if you're studying at graduate level in Spanish, have a very high level proficiency. What were your intentions you know once you finished this?
1: I knew that I, I knew it was in my soul I said I need I really need to learn this love, l- language on a level where I can do more. I I just love the language. I wanted to study the history. And then when I found out about the Moorish influence and all kinds of other things related to Africa, I was like, oh, this language is mine. I just loved, loved the language. And again, I loved being able to use another language. I thought it was cool to use another language, something that in my family we just didn't do. So um, and teaching. So how did I get to teaching? I I guess I'm a teacher by heart. So I I knew I wanted to share this skill with people. So what happened was after I finally got my um, my degree. Um, Actually, that's a different story. This is another story because this university went on strike. So I wasn't able to get my degree for about three years. But anyway, I moved back to Washington, D.C. and I taught in D.C. public schools, Spanish. And it was an awesome experience because students were like, oh my gosh, my teacher is African-American. And I just wanted to give them the skill and said, look, guys, if you guys have this skill, this is what you can do. Please learn this language kind of thing. So yeah. How long did you teach in DC? I was in DC teaching DC public school on Capitol Hill for about six years or so. And on that same note... So, uh, okay, so this is what's happening. So I the, the the university is on strike because tuition went up a quarter. I don't know. Tuition is like very, very, I don't know, $100 a year or something. And the Mexican government was like, oh, it's going to be 110 And students were like, heck <laughs> no. So they protested. So by then, I did not have my thesis completed, completed, because I did have to go back and forth. I'd already started having kids. That's a different story. So, I'm waiting at the bus stop. I'm headed to Georgetown to work on my thesis. I'm right in front of the Spanish embassy and I see a woman opening the door. And I say, Buenas tardes, señora. And she looks around and she sees me. And that is how I got to Spain on my second time as an exchange teacher. Okay. All expense paid. Yeah. So, lay this out (laughs) for me. So, yes, what happened? So um, she gives me a card and she's like, look, um, we just started this teacher to teacher exchange program, D.C. public schools and the, uh, the Spanish foreign, uh, the, the Spanish, uh, uh, the Spanish government something. Take a look. I was like, oh, man, I, I'm it's the same feeling with the diplomat. I'm like, yeah, I'm just trying to get my thesis done. <laughs> um, and so about two years after that, I applied and I got it. And so a teacher from uh, Aranda de Duero, which is kind of like northern Spain, came into my apartment and taught my students. And I went to his apartment and taught his students. So let me ask this question because you've already mentioned it. How many children did you have at this point? So I got married in Mexico to an awesome young man who was uh, studying Uh, from Somalia. So my husband, my kids are are multi-ethnic. Yeah. So my kids, and they look totally Somali too. Um, But anyway, so I had my first son and um, in Washington, D.C. And we would go back to Mexico um, to work on my thesis, do more research, whatever. Uh Um, And my daughter, um, she wasn't born in Spain, but she was conceived in Spain. Okay. So, my both my kids started off really early, being exposed to other languages and cultures.
0: So, when you got this opportunity to go to Spain,
1: did did is the family going with you? Like, where where is the, where are they? Yes, in your timeline? We were all there, except for my daughter who wasn't born yet. So, my son spent preschool. Oh wow! Pre K, Pre K in um in Spain. Yeah, that was his first, and he, that's why his Spanish is so amazing. Um, oh my god, it's just so amazing. And on that note, to of course you have to maintain your language skills. So he went to um Washington International School in Georgetown. I don't know if you're familiar yeah. with that school, it's a bilingual school. Yeah. So there he was able to learn like academic Spanish or whatever. So
0: yeah. Oh my gosh. Okay. So I'm I'm because I'm <laughs> I'm charting your journey, right? So you <laughs> you go to Spain, you come back.
1: Or do you do you come back to the states, or do you go somewhere else? Yes, I come to, I come back to D.C. I, yeah, because yeah. the the teacher ex- exchange program with Spain was only for a year. After we completed that year, uh, uh, again I'm in Washington D.C. and uh, that is when I was like I taught maybe two or three years more, and I was like I got to go back abroad. <laughs> I I, I was, I just felt like I was missing something. And that is, well, what I did was I applied to be to these international schools. I really wanted to be in the Middle East and raise my kids and things of that nature, but I didn't get a job, but I got a job with the most, you could say, uh, they call them Dodds teachers. It's the most coveted job. And like every, this is, if you're a teacher, you want this position because you are going to get Lots of benefits. You're gonna be able to live um all expense paid in Korea, the Philippines. At that time it was uh Iceland and Puerto Rico, Cuba, uh Portugal. You could live in any of those places and transfer. Yeah. So I was like, man, I gotta get in. And people are like, You have got to be joking. But I got a phone call. I got a phone call and they're like, yeah, we want you to come. But it was for a Marine base in Beaufort, South Carolina.
2: (laughs) And I was like, okay, that's
1: a stepping stone. That's a stepping stone. I can do it. (laughs) And so I reached out to um, principals in Japan, wherever, and said, look, I'm an awesome Spanish teacher. Do you need one? And one from mainland Japan said, you know what? Good timing. We do need a Spanish teacher. And that's how, oh, how got I got perfect. to Japan. <laughs> so, so let's talk about this because there's there's so many
0: angles to hit on this, and I'm <laughs> okay. So you have managed to slip into all of this. Cross slip in. You right. slipped in a lot of things, but here's the thing: cross-cultural marriage, right? Yes. Cross-cultural living, multilingual children. Yes. <laughs> right. And yes. then all of this is happening in the context of what's happening with your career, the opportunities of people you're meeting. So tell me this, like, obviously, you you and Spanish are in a long-term relationship. <laughs> That's clear. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> but what I'm really fascinated, and I said to, to you this offline, you know, you're you're raising these third culture kids with your husband, who has his own cultural context, because I assume he was born and raised yes. in Somalia. You guys meet in Mexico. which in Kuwait. And Kuwait. And by the way, what is it that you guys are speaking to each other, English or Spanish?
1: Right. We did, I don't remember the name of the system that we use, but my husband and I was exclusively English and my children and I were exclusively spanish and the children to the dad was exclusively english i wanted the arabic yeah. but he wasn't committed the way that i was committed so it never worked gotcha so that's how that worked and my kids didn't know english up until they were like four five, and five they're like wait a minute what are we doing aren't we in dc they, <laughs> so they kind of did a switch yeah. on me because they were like we what's the Spanish thing about we didn't get it but yeah
0: and so yeah I am so I am slightly fascinated with your kids because they're obviously third culture kids and I love talking about third culture kids like and it's interesting because you're their mom right so you may have your own ideas they're in a very cross-cultural like everything about them is cross-cultural multi-ethnic there's a lot going on there from an identity standpoint, did you did how do you feel like they saw their identity in the context of as an American, as I mean technically
1: yes, African African American. <laughs> yeah. Luckily they look very Somali. Um, and so some people you know DC and the the Ethiopian community, yes. so they think they're actually Ethiopian, right? Yeah. Um, so they may be recognized physically as East African, but culturally, that is something that they do not have. My husband and I divorced after many years. So they never really got, and and they've been to Kuwait, never to Somalia, of course, because there's a civil war. But they've been to Kuwait to make family and everything. But in terms of having a Somali culture, that is something that is lacking. Well, that's one of the reasons why my daughter decided to go to school in Ohio, because there's so many right. um, Somalis there. And she's 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 learning more. That's kind of cool. But um, it, it ha- I don't think in terms of identity has been an issue because they have many identities. Mm-hmm. Um, the godmother is Mexican mm-hmm. from Guadalajara, who... Um, not really helped raise them, but she was really influential in maybe babysitting and things of that nature in, in our community right there in, in, on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C., uh, living in Spain, living in Japan. So they were always exposed to all kinds of identities. And so it, it hasn't really and, and also on top of that Muslim mm-hmm. But I don't think they've struggled. Like I don't. I don't remember an occasion where my daughter would come home and say, "Mom, I don't know. I'm what am I? Am I so and so?" And she's at a point now. And there's another layer to this. Um, while living in um, Japan, I decided to send my daughter to French Canada to learn French. So she did f- French school for five years. Mm. And so with that experience, I think it helped her see. You know what? Um, yes, I'm different and maybe don't fit into a lot of spaces, but that's okay. Cause there are a lot of people like me because her boarding school mm-hmm. had lots of rich Mexicans, a lot of people from all over the world who were very different and didn't fit in a box. And I think that helped her see that, you know what, that's kind of cool. I, I am who I am and I'm not going to apologize for who I am. So yeah. And did your, and your son is the older child, correct? My son is the oldest. Yes. okay. He's the oldest. He um, he graduated from school in uh, Yokosuka and then went to Howard University. Okay. Fascinating. Yes, now, and- I mean, your kids sound the super
0: coolest. I just want you to say that. I don't know them, but I'm also like, <laughs> these are the ones I would have hung out. I, I went to international schools and would have hung out with them because they are super cool. They sound <laughs> completely up my alley. And so, no, that's wild. And so what is it You know, I because I'm always curious, especially with black parents, right? Like you're raising your kids. And I I feel like in your case, you also had a very intentionality in terms of them building up these language skills. Right. Because I think for you, there was a clear benefit in knowing. And so it seems like it was very easy for you to also say, no, my kids probably I don't even know if you even thought about it consciously. But to say
1: my kids will know more than one language it was totally intentional. Mm. It was uh, it was our priority. In our house, we will learn languages. We will travel. We will read in the target language. This is what we will do. Because of this language privilege, I knew how it what it did for me. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to pass it on to my kids so they could have a competitive edge. Because you know, they talked about having this competitive yeah. edge in college, in school, to be able to get to the... So, I wanted that for them. And so, I mean, talk about
0: that, especially as a Black mom, because we have some folks who may not understand the benefits of it, right? So, from your experiences, right? And and from the students you've taught and even your own children, right? What are some of the things, specifically, I think Black parents, and I think, and, and I'm saying, and let me keep it even granular, let me even say Black American parents, because as you know, and you've alluded to, also when people live in other parts of the world, sometimes by necessity, (laughs) <laughs> you have another language or two, whereas we can be very privileged in a different way where we don't have to because English is such a, you know, it's the lingua franca, right? So what are some of the benefits you think, especially when we look at our our, our, our Black children around knowing more than one language?
1: The best, mm, there's so many examples. Um, that ability to feel comfortable in practically every setting, that feeling of I'm just as good as you kind of thing, because I have a skill that, I don't know, but I'm going to talk about my son, for example, who was living in DC for a while, who's now in LA. And he will call me and say, mom, guess what happened to me today? I got a discount at the mechanic shop because I could speak Spanish. I got some free fries. This is that language privilege. So for my kids, they really see that their ability to speak Spanish is o- opening doors that they wouldn't otherwise have, um, and that is one of the reasons why I wrote the books that I wrote. That maybe we'll talk about later. But um, my and my son, when he attended school, he, one of the first things he said was, "Mom, thank you for giving me Spanish," because he knew that in his I don't know, ecosystem of friends, but that was something foreign and maybe cool to be able to do. Mm -hmm. So they are really, um, they're really, they're they're grateful for it. And they they never said, I'm not going to do this. This is odd. Mm -hmm. They embraced it because I guess of the benefits that they get from it. And I mean,
0: you've hit on it. And so I think it's a really good time to talk about this. So. Obviously, you're very passionate about folks learning languages and kind of the benefits around it. So let's talk about some of the resources you developed. Obviously, you are an author. (laughs) So (laughs) what what was the vision and purpose behind what you've written in your books?
1: Um, First of all, I am so fascinated um, and really admire this uh, Black exodus at this exodus period. Um, of people who are deciding to put their lives in their own hands and, and live on their own terms. And I said to myself, these people are going to need some kind of language tool to help them. Um, and sure, I may speak Spanish, but when I lived in Japan, I struggled linguistically and I was embarrassed because I'm like, here I am, a language advocate, and I can't even do X. But anyway, so I, I said to myself, um, I am able, I understand the expat experience. I am an expat. Why can't I produce a book that's going to help expats navigate their lives? How to talk to the doctor, how to order pizza, how to give their social profile, social media profile. And so that's what I did. Mm. I've written uh, now five books um, about language learning and learning Spanish in particular. Yes. One of them is called Spanish for Expats, And it's a series, actually. Phrasebook, grammar, and culture. So I think I might just... So here's... This has nothing to do with
0: anything, but I think I might get this book. Because I spent some time in Dominican Republic twice this year. And you're right. Immersion is the thing, right? Like, the first time was like for a week, (laughs) but then I spent longer and, and got the privilege of renting an apartment. And... I had started learning Spanish once I came back. And then when I went back in July or in June, no, I was not fluent, but because I have, and I I also have the background of living in Cameroon and French, right? So that was, that's
1: the back of my mind. Oh, that's right. Yes. So,
0: so when I went back and I was just like, yeah, even, I, I don't think people understand this, even if you don't know a language. But even the most basic phrases you can say to someone on the street, they are so helpful and they are so supportive. Yes, your pronunciation can be whack. It could be you've got the the feminine and the masculine like messed up. But even even if you like, and I'll use Spanish as an example, Spanglish shit, Franklish shit, right? The fact that people are like, oh, like you are taking the time and I, I love that you're an advocate because I'm, I'm not gonna lie. I do think it's slightly weird when people have lived in a country for a very long time, and they don't even have a couple of words in that language. Yes,
1: and I can I interrupt yeah, you? Go ahead, please, Amanda. I d- thank you so much for that. St- that has been the premise of my message the whole while no one is asking you to be bilingual but we are asking you to make an attempt to use the target language to use the host language where you are mm-hmm. and once people even the, the, the smallest word people the responses they, they smile they're like oh my gosh and then the favors start coming the privilege start coming right what you said is so key, and I think a lot of people are afraid to make that first step. And I think it has something to do with ego. Mm-hmm. I have a saying that goes something like, um, "Your ego is not your amigo." As it relates to learning the language, <laughs> you you can't be arrogant and proud. You have to have some kind of humility to allow you to just say "buenos dias" and and, and something called "use." Just that one little step is a huge game changer. That is going to give you privilege. People don't understand. and (laughs) They really don't. But thank you so much for saying that.
0: No, no problem. And I think you're right, because I think that's why it's sometimes easier for little kids, right? Because they're not necessarily concerned about whether the grammar rules are where they need to be. And so I have a really good friend. I know her from college. She is American and Belgian. Her husband is Italian. They live in the Netherlands. I have sat at the dinner table with them in the Netherlands. Mom speaks Dutch. She's not speaking Flemish. She speaks Dutch to the daughter and the husband speaking Italian. I literally sat and watched the kid go back and forth between, because that's what they're speaking to the kid at the dinner table. And then the kid turned around and asked me something. (laughs) And I was like, it kind of sounds like english but i don't know where and she and, and my friend dominique was like she got a little confused it was her dutch with some german and i'm like i'm hella confused but i heard a word and she's like oh and the kid turned around and asked me the question in english so
1: Beautiful.
0: here's the thing neither of my friend nor her husband are dutch but they live in the netherlands could they fake <laughs> it till they make it with english absolutely but did they yeah. did they intentionally learn dutch because that's where they've made their home completely mm-hmm. and so i think to your point i love what you said about the ego part is that people are, are afraid of not having Ooh. that power of being able to communicate and 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 but here's the deal we all have a heart language but when we step into someone else's space we've got to recognize their heart language even if we don't recognize yes. communicate the same way that we would in our own heart language, because you are right. People are just that much nicer to you. If you like, in general, the U S can be weird when people are like speak English here, whatever. But like in other places, in other places, I feel like people, I'm saying this because I literally just read something where someone was aghast, where this woman was struggling through to explain something. And someone was being rude to her because she, English was not her first language, but in general people are very kind and they are very grateful and they will make accommodations because they know that you are Oh, Absol-
1: I love that word accommodations. Oh, that's that privilege. Yeah. They will accommodate you. Yeah. Yeah. They, they, they will give you free stuff. I mean, just, but you have to take that first step and, and, and get over not feeling, you know, sounding weird. That's. Mm, so, yeah. so then I want to ask you, so we started this interview.
0: You have left Japan. You're in Mexico
1: what's the what's the next thing then for you? Research. I am here in Latin America to pick up on um, research that I started um, in the early 2000s. <laughs> was in the early 2000s, around that time. Yeah. Um, the master's thesis that I wrote in Spanish, I like to publish it in English. Mm-hmm. Um, I have about four or five other book ideas that's going to... It's all linguistic related. Um, I am here to research, visit the libraries of Latin America, and um, learn as much as I can, and write as many books as I can.
0: And so we know you've got books out. We know that that's the next thing on your on your agenda with with your research. Are there any other projects we should know about as far as as it relates to languages that you're working? On?
1: Oh, that's a good question. Um. Just, um, well, I'm having this Latin American tour of my book, Spanish for Expats. So um Merida, Mexico is my first stop. It's going um, by the time this airs, I think it will have already passed, but right. there will be more. So I'm really trying to get the message out to two communities, the Mexican or the Latin American community to say, yes, we do want to learn other. We want to learn your language. And to the expat community that, you know, um, here's some tools to help you. Duolingual is fabulous, but there are other tools that you need, something, you know, physical, tangible to hold in your hand to help you learn this language. So that is what I'm going to be doing for the next coming year (laughs) or so. I'm going to eight countries, Eh, Colombia, Ecuador, la República Dominicana, Uh, other parts of mexico nicaragua panama puerto rico and españa Mm -hmm. in spain to have these book signings and let uh you know expats know that this this book is available it's written from an expat teacher for you who is living what you're living and going through what you're living
0: oh my gosh well jamila I felt like I went a tour around the world but like we had this thread around language and I have just appreciated the nuggets that have come in your story that you've shared just not you know not just from your professional experiences but also personally right with your family and your children and and what you've seen and so I always make sure (laughs) that people can find folks. And so I want, you know, we'll make sure that we will get connected to your social media and any other sites, but is there anywhere in particular, you want people to find you if they want to get in touch?
1: Yes. So my website is two languages to cool. And those twos are digits. So two languages to cool.com. Um, my books are available on Amazon as well, and that's my social media, pretty much. <laughs> that's totally fine.
0: I mean, honestly, it's kind of a distraction. But <laughs> so we will. What we'll do is we will tag your website on our show notes and on our website on our on the Black Expat website, so that if anyone wants to connect with you, they can kind of follow from there. So it's okay. okay you don't have great. to be in. Everywhere, because some people are smart and are <laughs> not everywhere. So, but oh my gosh, Demila, thank you for coming on the show.
1: Thank you so much, Amanda. Keep up the good work. the The work that you're doing is phenomenal. I applaud you.
0: You've just listened to an episode of the Global Chatter, which is hosted by me, Amanda Bates. It is edited by Stephanie Fuccio. Don't forget to subscribe to the Global Chatter on your favorite podcast platform. You can also follow us on Instagram at The Global Chatter, or stop by Twitter and find us at Global Chat Pod. If you have a question, want to subscribe to the newsletter, or are interested in sponsoring, visit theglobalchatter.com.